You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find us on all things social at svbcfamily. We're going to be looking at mistakes made by the church. Uh, we're going to be starting out today, we're going to look at the first couple of churches in, in the book of Revelation. It, it's not any one of these things, any of these things that we're talking about, this isn't me saying that Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church does these things. Don't, please don't get these, these next two or three weeks confused with, this is me saying, oh, we're messing up. This is not what this, ser- this message series is about. This message series is about... There are examples in the Bible where the church did things not well. And we want to learn from their mistakes. Because over the next several weeks, months, and years, as as things begin to grow, we want to, again, history has a way of repeating itself. You know, just because, you you know, in in, in the seven churches in Revelation, just because he doesn't mention the church at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, it doesn't mean that there's not things that we can learn from these churches. We're also, after that, we're going to look at things the church has done well. You know, how how do we, the, the, the next series will be about what can we do to honor God as a church? What can we do to please God? Because the Bible has a lot to say about how we can please God, things that we should be doing as a church. And we're going to have, and that, it was that message I was talking about, negative spiritual influences. We're going to have a single message about that and more towards Thanksgiving. We're going to talk about ad, having an attitude of Thanksgiving. So that's what your next two months are going to look like. This thing hates me. So this time, is, it's going to be a time of self-evaluation. Again, nothing in any of these next however many sermons, because to be honest, how many it's going to be, I'm not sure yet, because I don't know if I'm even going to get to the end of all these, and we have to carry them over. This is a time of reflection on ourselves, not only person, but as a church. Are we doing things? Are we making some of these similar mistakes? Are we doing these right things that make God happy? Because it's very important, because the the thing that we need to do more than anything else is exalt Christ and honor God. All the other stuff just kind of falls in place. When you exalt Christ and honor God, you treat people better, you you, you treat ministry partners better, you treat the world better, and they see it and they respond. So it's going to be a time of self-evaluation. If these things that we talk about if they don't apply, fine. But we need to make sure that in the future we don't buy in, into some of these, these errors or some of these mistakes. Or that further down the road that we're doing the right stuff. But I do, I do want to... Here is the, the church disclaimer. There's going to be a lot of stuff happening over the next several weeks, months, and years. Because when a church is becoming healthier... When a church is growing, you will meet resistance. You absolutely will. I I think churches sometimes make two major mistakes. They either talk too much about the devil or they don't talk about him at all. (laughs) 
You think about that. You know, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend a lot of time up here talking about the devil. This isn't his show. This isn't his this isn't his arena. This is God's show. This is his arena. This is his church. But we do have to recognize that as we start doing things well, we will meet resistance. It's gonna come in a couple of different ways. Things are gonna pop up and we will have division in the church. It's coming. If it's not happening now, it's coming. Why? Because how does the devil work? He divides. You know, one time Jesus was accused of being a prince of demons, Beelzebub, and Jesus was like, you know, this makes no sense. You know, why would Satan do this kind of thing? Because a house divided will fall. You know, so what is a house divided will fall? So division is a major tool of the enemy to try to bring down churches. There will be division that will pop up in this church. Not because we're doing things wrong, it's because we're doing things right. It's important to understand that. Division in your families. Let me tell you what, just because I'm talking about the church, the church is made up of people. So the devil doesn't stop with attacking the church he will come after you individually. You will find a vision that might pop. You might find you fitting and fighting with people in your family that you haven't already or you haven't in a while. Why? Because if the devil can take you out of the equation here, he's also succeeding in the church. So expect this to come. It's going to come. You're going to see conflict rise up in your church and in your family that you've probably not seen in a while. Why? Because we're going to honor Jesus Christ. We absolutely are. We are going to show this world, again, I can't, I can't talk about this analogy enough, I'm being a light on top of a hill here. When we shine our light for Jesus, resistance will come. It's coming. Interpersonal conflict. You'll find things in your own life that, 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 that you start struggling with that maybe you haven't before. Maybe you start becoming more anxious about stuff than you were before. Maybe you start feeling a little bit more depressed than you were before. Why? Because you're being attacked. Again, whenever the church is doing something well, resistance comes. So when you see it, recognize it. And how do you respond to that? I know this isn't quite the, the message yet, but these are things that you need to know going into this. How do you respond when you're feeling down and out and depressed and you don't even want to go to church? You resist the devil and he flees from you. You praise that we talked about this in Sunday school. You exalt the Lord with your lips. You exalt the Lord with your life and your heart. You come and corporately worship with this body. And that's how you win. It, you bring those things. You bring those concerns. When those things are coming to your mind that you haven't struggled with for a while, there's a reason they're happening because God's going to do amazing things with you in Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church. The church is just, it's just beginning to take off. Remember Jonathan Falwell in that little clip that he had here on, on their little in their anniversary thing last week. He said, the best is yet to come. And I believe it. And let me tell you what, from being at that, sermon, or that service last week, this church has done a lot of amazing things. So for us to do more than we've done in the past, some amazing things are going to go down and we will meet resistance, but we are going to overcome. Why are we going to overcome? Because we follow Jesus and Jesus has overcome the world. 
There is nothing that Jesus can't do, and we will follow our King. We will follow our Lord to whatever place He takes us and whatever He wants us to do, and we will honor God. And this is what's, this is what's coming. This is what's going to happen. But who cares? Because greater is He who is in me than He who is in the world. That is true for every single one of you. If you have cried out to God and you've asked Jesus into your heart, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That Holy Spirit that lives in you is greater than any of these resistance, any of these interpersonal thoughts, any of these things that could happen. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We will overcome. We will grow. We will be that light that sits on top of this hill. And we will honor Christ. And the Father will send people. Why? Just because we're doing what God expects us to do. Situations might come up that just make life difficult. Your car might break down. Who knows? <laughs> you know... Again, and we talked about this in past sermons, and again, and this, this is the last thing I want to say about old Snaggletooth, the devil himself, is he does have influence in what happens in this world because he is the prince of this world. So things will be thrown at you. Why? Because he has the legal authority to throw things at you. Fortunately, we have a God who has the final say. He does. So expect these things. When you feel these things, you see these things, you can sit there and say, okay, I know. wait a minute, this is the stuff that Greg was talking about. He told me this was going to happen. Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So my question is this. Are you going to advance slide? Are you ready? Are you ready? I think you are. You've had a few years now since there was a there was a rift here. Pastor Don's just been laying some good word into you. You've had a time of rest. You've had a time of rebuilding. You've had a time of of, of almost like, of like a sabbatical where Don has been almost like he's been like the pastor nurse, you know, just trying to just just. Letting God use him to, to bring this church back to a healthy place. But let me tell you what, the sabbatical's over. It's over. The rest time is over. It is time for us to start impacting this community for the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we going to do it? There's going to be a lot of ways we're going to do it. We're going to go over those over the next several weeks. But are you ready? I want you to be ready. I want you to be excited about what God wants to do with you. Every single one of you, God has a plan for you in the big scheme of, of what's going on at this church. Every one of you have a role. I don't care if it's prayer time. Let me tell you what, a church is built on prayer. If, if, your, if your purpose is none other than praying for this church and praying for me, because I'm kind of at the tip of the spear here, you are doing an amazing thing. You are doing a ginormous thing. If it's prayer, whether it's just like, well, maybe I can help out with the Awanas, you know, once a month. Or maybe there's going to be kids coming soon. Maybe, maybe helping with the nursery. Whatever that thing is, God has a purpose for you. If you have breath in your lungs, you have a purpose. Because if you did not have a purpose... God would call you home.
He would. There's no retirement in the church of Jesus Christ. Even if we're climbing up in years, if, if anything else, being a cheerleader, can, can you imagine that? That's a pretty cool job. Peggy, where's Peggy? I saw Peggy. Peggy was walking with me as I was going to go get my donut. And she was like a cheerleader. You know, God is so good. Bad things have happened, but God is so good. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have made, I wouldn't have made it. Let me tell you what. That's an encouragement. If you don't know Peggy's story, talk to Peggy. She's an encouragement. You know, let her share her story about Jesus with you. Let her share her story of how when bad things happen, God is still good. God is still good. You all have a role. You all have a purpose. Are you ready? The book of Revelation. Again, we'll be spending the next two or three weeks in this death of a church type, type name series. But we're starting out with the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And I, I want to kind of lay the, the foundation of what this, why this is important. Revelation 1, verse 1 and 2 says this, the, the revelation from Jesus Christ, yeah, we'll make sure it was up there, which God gave him to show his servants what was soon take place. He made it known by sending an angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So why is this, why is this important? First of all, we're going to be talking shortly about these churches that, that for these letters to these churches, but you need to understand, first of all, who the author is, who, who's, who's writing this stuff down. It's the Apostle John, who I think is probably knows Jesus pretty well. You, you know, so when he says, and, and, and when, when we see here shortly, when, when we talk about the coming of the Son of Man, when he sees Jesus, he knows it's Jesus, not only just because of some divine revelation that the Holy Spirit's given him, John knows Jesus. So when John is saying in these letters that Jesus told me to tell you this, he is saying that with great authority. And with great authority, we can, we can say that Jesus is saying these things to the church. Why is that important? Because when Jesus says things about the church, we need to pay attention. It's his church. We're not going to get so much into these seven letters, the good things, we will in the, in, in the future, but we're going to look at some of the things that concern Jesus. If these things concern Jesus way back then, I guarantee you they still concern Jesus now. And I do want to read out of the book of Revelation real quick, verse, chapter 1, verse 9 through 20. If you have your Bible, it's I read an NIV, but not everybody does. I, again, I don't ever want you to change what version you read. If it speaks to you, just because I read an NIV, don't go buy an NIV. <laughs> if you're an American Standard Bible guy or gal or a New King James or King James Version, stick with it. If God speaks to you with it, I don't want to change a thing. Don't fix things that aren't broken. <laughs> but I just simply read out of the NIV. It says this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient, and patient endurance that are, that are heirs in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I was behind, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on the scroll 
what you see and send it to the seven churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Like a son of man, a son of man was Jesus' favorite term for himself. That's how he referred to himself more than anybody, any other term was the son of man. That goes back to the Daniel, because when Daniel was seeing Jesus, he said he had the appearance, he had the, the, the appearance of a son of man. You know, so that's, he's talking about Jesus here. Someone was like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then, I, then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive and forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mysteries of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands are this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So why did I read all this? I'm trying to establish very clearly this is a message from Jesus. <laughs> Everything that we're going to be looking at in these seven churches, it is a message from Jesus given to the Apostle John who knew him well. I think that's, a, that's an authoritative source. That's an authoritative source. Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at the church of Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So the obvious thing I want to point out about these messages of the seven churches is they weren't all bad. <laughs> when, when Jesus was talking to the churches, this wasn't a manifest. This was, you know, a manifesto. I mean, it wasn't this. This I have against you. I, I, I'm struck. No, 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 no. He did praise them because they were doing good things. The Church of Ephesus. What do we see here? They do not tolerate wicked people. That's a good thing. You know that we don't. You are called to love the world and to love the people. You're not called to love the things they do. So they, were, they, weren't, they didn't tolerate this wickedness. They tested those who claimed to be apostles but were not and found them to be false. That's discernment. They were discerning things well. That's one of those, those, those gifts of the Holy Spirit, just to be able to discern things for what they are. So Ephesus was doing a lot of things right. They were doing a lot of things well. They, they, they were loving people but not sin. They were, they were being discerning. And they endured hardships, and they have not grown weary. But it doesn't stop there. This is what we're going to look at with Ephesus. Yet I hold this against you. 
You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Before we look at what the problem is, let's look at what the kind of what he's saying he's going to do. Even though they were doing all these good things, he's saying, if you don't fix this thing, I'm going to remove your lampstand. What is he saying? You're going to to cease to exist to be a church. So why is what he's saying before this, this, this warning? What is the deal with this? You've forsaken the love you had at first. One of the things that I see in what they were doing right is they were working really hard and they didn't grow weary. Here's a concern. Is sometimes you work so hard for the church that you stop working for the Lord? That it becomes about more about the ministry than it is to the service of God? Is that an issue? Well, if as long as you're working hard, isn't that good enough? Are your motives really that important while you're doing it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think back, I came to the Lord in 1987. I remember that, that, that feeling. I was at this place called Fishnet down here at Front Royal. They had the big Christian contemporary thing there every year. Loved it. It was the highlight of my year when I was in the youth. I mean, I couldn't wait to get to Fishnet. It had cool Christian bands, and they had teaching, and it had all this stuff. And I'll never forget, there was a guy named John Jacobs, and he took with him the power team. And back then, I, I didn't always look like this. I was an athlete at one time. I know you might have a hard time believing that, but I was playing football back then. I'm, I mean, I could run and run and run and run. I, mean, I didn't look like this at all. Well, when John Jacobs, this big old bodybuilding dude, comes along, and, he's, and his team, they're like breaking real handcuffs, and they're like lining up these, these things of ice, and they're smashing their head, and, and it's just breaking all these things. To a kid who was, who was an athletic, this was amazing. Oh my, I'm going to listen to these guys. Oh my goodness. But I'll never forget, after, after they did their demonstrations, they preached, we went down to the prayer tent. John Jacobs was also a preacher. Imagine he still is. Down in the prayer tent, he began to, to teach a lesson from Acts chapter 2, and he talked about the Holy Spirit just coming in like a wind. And you want to know what? It like buckled my knees. <laughs> I got it. I wept like a baby. I got it. I got it. And I had so much joy in my heart. You call, you'd call me on the phone, I'd be like, hallelujah. That's how I answered the phone. I kid you not. Me and my buddy Jason, we were going to the malls, walking up to people. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? We were thrown out of malls over and over and over. We would set up, we were going to be the next Christian rock band. I'll tell you what, we were, we were going to be it. I mean, we were playing music and we were just, anybody who wanted to hear, even if you didn't want to hear about Jesus, we were going to tell you about Jesus. We did. Well, let me tell you what, that is what the first love is all about. How did you feel about Jesus 
when you surrendered for the first time? How did you feel about Jesus when you realized you were in a very dark place and now all of a sudden you're not? How did you feel about Jesus when you were captive by your sin and all these, these, these horrible things and maybe even addictions and horrible things that have happened and all of a sudden the, the chains broke free because of Jesus? How did that make you feel? That is your first love. Well, let me tell you what. I've also known what it was like when I was pastoring a small church to get so wrapped up in the business of church, just making sure everything got done, or when I was a recovery pastor, making sure I got all the seats set out, and I did all this, that, and the other, and all these things, and I got so wrapped up in the work of the church that I lost sight of why I was doing it in the first place. I had lost the joy of my salvation. I had lost my first love. Well, you want to know what? That's what God cares about more than your service. He cares about your heart. He cares about why you're doing things, not how good you're doing things. God calls you to do your very best, but you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to do everything right all the time. Don't get so wrapped up into the work. Always remember why you do the work. It's to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we do these things. That is, why, that is our first love. That is why we are here. That is why we exist as a church. Not only to be in a search and rescue mission for the lost and dying people. In the world. It's to exalt Jesus because he is worthy. He is worthy of that. And as long as we keep that in sight, as long as we keep that in focus, the fact that we are here to serve God, he takes care of the rest. He does. He takes care of the rest. I can tell you what, I have a doctorate degree. Big whoop. Who cares? I've got a lot of student debt. Let me tell you what, I have learned more from the Holy Spirit than I ever learned in a book. Do I think that education is important? I do. Don't think that I'm saying that that's not important. But what I'm saying is this, even sometimes when you're studying the Word of God at that level, when you're, when you're, when you're so busy dissecting what everything means, and, you, and you're trying to figure out what it means in different languages, and this, and that, and the other, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the details that you forget why you're doing it. Don't fall into that trap, church. I want you to be motiva- motivated by Jesus and Jesus alone. What He calls you to do, that's between you and Him. I might throw suggestions out there. I know people that play music. I might throw suggestions out there, but where the rubber meets the road, it doesn't matter. As long as you're doing it for Jesus, we're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Keep your heart where it needs to be. Let the first love of your heart be the love of your Savior because you want He is worthy of that. He deserves that. You realize the whole thing, and I thought, I was, I don't remember who I was talking to. I was talking about, you know, the way God set his, the system up of for the forgiveness of sins and, 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 and the shedding of blood and, and all these things. And, and, and sometimes you just have these conversations with people, like, I wonder why he even set it up that way. You know, because he made the rules. He's the one that decided that the only way to forgive sin is the, is the shedding of blood. Why would he do that? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because he needed, A, to demonstrate to you 
how serious our sin is, and more importantly, that how much he loves you. Because here's the interesting thing about sin and punishment and, and the shedding of blood and all these things. The God has been most unfair to himself because he made the rules where he was going to pay the price so that you didn't have to. That is love, and that is why we need to be excited about Jesus. That is why we need to be excited about the Father. That's why we need to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance in everything we say and do. Yeah, he lives in us, but have we ever asked him, what do you want me to do, Spirit? You're my guide. You're my counselor. You're, my, you're all these things to me. What do you want me to do? How often do you ask the Holy Spirit that? When's, when's the last time you asked the Holy Spirit that? We need to be focused on our first love because this is a significant thing. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. Why is it so, in, it is so important to God that your attitude and your motivation and your love is more important to him than anything that you could do? That's what he wants. He wants your heart. And he wants your heart to stay on him. And it is so important to him that even the church that was doing all the right stuff, he threatened to remove them from existence because they lost track of why they were doing it. They lost sight. Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, I need you to see the goal. The goal is to exalt Christ. We're going to do that any way we can. We may come up with ministries. We may come up with plans. We may come up with all these things. But if we do all this labor and we don't include the Holy Spirit, our labor is going to be in vain. But when we do these things at the guidance of the Holy Spirit, who, what is the beautiful thing? What does the Holy Spirit do more than any things? Why do we not talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot? The Holy Spirit doesn't even draw attention to himself. My pastor, Pastor Keith, one time said the Holy Spirit is the, he's, he's the one we look at the, the, the least because he doesn't take selfies. He always points people to Jesus. Think about that. Why, so why are we not engaging with the Holy Spirit? What, what can I do to honor my Jesus? What can I do to honor my Father? The Holy Spirit knows, and he lives in you. Ask him. Ask him what he wants you to do. This isn't a new thing. Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Despite some churches that call themselves New Testament churches, when, when they asked Jesus what's the first and most important commandment, and they, maybe they thought he just pulled this out of nowhere, it was in Deuteronomy. It was long before Jesus' incarnation. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength. It's that important. This is the core thing, your love for your Lord, your love for Jesus. It's, it's a core part of the very reason why you're here. It's a core part. Why did God even make you? Why did God give you a free will? He did these things because he wanted a family who he could love and love back, not because he made you, but because you wanted to. Don't miss that. And, 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 and that, that central part of that relationship is we need to love him with all of our heart, everything that's in us, with all of our soul, everything that we are, and with all of our strength. Let me tell you about strength. Some of you may have noticed I get a little excited up here. 
the people who've known me the longest run, I'm not, a, I'm not an excitable guy. I'm the guy that everybody, the, the Sunday school class makes me wear a mic because I don't talk loud enough. The, the, when I was at New Life, before Pastor Jim said, I think God wants you to start this recovery ministry, he said, but I don't understand because you sit on the back row whenever your wife's not here and you never say anything to anybody. I mean, you just kind of slip in, slip out. I am not that animated person. But why do I do this? Why do I talk like this? And why do I preach with heart? It's because I'm loving him with my entire strength. I go home after this, I take a nap. True story. My wife can tell you. Because my love for my God has to be so much that it absorbs everything. It takes everything, not because he demands it, because I want to give it to him. I want to give him my strength. If I stand up here and jump around and I preach and I just raise my voice, it's not because I'm trying to draw attention to myself. I don't care what people think about me. I really don't. I do this because I love God and I want to get his message across. I love God and, and, and I, I do get excited about his word. This is amazing. This isn't a book. This is, a, this is 66 books that do nothing but point to Messiah Jesus. The fact that, that, the fact that God was starting to tell us all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 that he was coming, that, that he was going to come through the, through the seed of a woman, that all the laws and all the prophets, all of them pointed to Jesus. It is so amazing that God constructed this thing with humans of all things and somehow pulled this thing off. Only God could have done that. This is amazing. And I do talk about the law and the prophets a lot, but let me, make, let me just stop here for a second and point out, I don't want you to think because I love the law. The law tells me what is right and it's wrong. It tells me how to make God happy and how to, what I do when I do it it, 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 it displeases him. But I don't want you to get so wrapped up in the law that you forget grace. The message of Jesus Christ is that of grace. I love this law. I love these prophets. But they all point to the giver of grace. They all point to the giver of grace. I just realized I skipped praise and worship. Sorry. David, we can use that stuff next week. I need somebody to keep me on track. Love the Lord. Yeah, you need, to keep, you need to keep me straight. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your strength. We'll go to the next church. The church is Smyrna. Smyrna. Here's the, here's the cool thing about this church. He didn't have anything bad to say to him. <laughs> he didn't. You know, when we, when we talk about the things the church does right, we'll pr we're probably going to revisit these folks. But of the seven churches, he didn't really have anything bad to say about them. They were, they were, doing the, they were following God the best way that, that, that you know, they knew how, and he was happy with what they were doing. You know, so we'll probably come back to them. Not in this sermon series, because right now we're talking about the mistakes that we tend to make. Pergamum. 
Verse 13, we're in Revelation 2. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Okay, this is, this is kind of cool stuff here. You remain true to my name. So, so Jesus is saying, right here in your hometown, Satan has set up a shop. This is where his throne is. He set up shop here. But you, you remain true to my name. You didn't renounce your faith in me. This, this, is, this is a ginormous thing. But you want to know what? There was still an issue. Nevertheless, here's 14 and 15. I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam and who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you, have also, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans. We're not really quite sure who these cats are. <laughs> There are some, some of the early church fathers who, who really connect the Nicolaitans to Gnosticism, which, which I'm, I don't even have time to even open that can of worms. But here's the important things to be focusing on here. The fact that these Nicolaitans did things that, that, that God wasn't happy about, but they held to the teachings of Balaam, and they were eating food sacrificed to idols, and they were committing sexual immorality. Here's a few. Let's, let's, let's go back to Exodus. Why is Balaam and Balak, why, you know, why, are these, why is this stuff so bad? Exodus chapter 20. Here's a little, here, here's a little uh, trivia for you, and I know you almost all you what, what do we find in Exodus 20? The Ten Commandments. Hmm? Well, you, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are pretty important. We had, yeah, the Ten Commandments are important because even though we've added so many different rules and tried, God, God tried to make it simple. Here's ten little rules, ten simple things. But the first two, we're going to really look at this, this Balaam and Balak stuff, this idol worshiping stuff. That was all part of this. One of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. God does not, he is not willing to share you with anyone. He's not. God wants your full attention. And he deserves it. Because when you have other gods, and what is a god? Actually, let's, let's, let's go back and forth here for a second. The second one was you shall not... Make for yourselves an image of the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them. King James language, don't make any graven images. So whether it's a graven image, which is just a thing that people make and they worship, and there was, the Israelites were doing a lot of this stuff. It, it, it really took... It really took the exiles to kind of break this behavior, but there was a lot of this going on before that. This worshiping of things, created things. God saying, no, 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 you don't do that. 
but they turn these made things into gods. What is a god? A god is anything that takes first place in your heart. A god is anything that controls what you do or why you do it. Can your job be your god? Yes, it can. If everything you do is motivated by your job, you've placed that in the throne of your heart. Let's make it a little more personal. My boss goes here. He's like, yeah, it should be. It should be there. Your children or your grandchildren. Let me tell you, sometimes it's, it's, it's easier to place your grandchildren at the throne of your heart than sometimes your kids because you get to spoil them and send them home. But if you are thinking more about your children or your grandchildren or even your spouse or anyone or anything or your car or your house or your swimming pool or for me, Starburst, if you're thinking about any of these things and letting them control the things that you do above God, you have made them a God. Is there something in your life that's a God? And that's not something for me to answer. And that's not something I'm not going to ask. Brothers and sisters, raise your hand. If, if you have something in your life that's more important than you, I'm not going to do that to you. But I do want you to go home with this. Holy Spirit, is there something that's more important to me than the Father? Because if there is, you got some work to do with the Holy Spirit. You need to tell the Holy Spirit, make me like Jesus. Make me more like Jesus, because I'll tell you what, Jesus always put the Father first. Think about when he's, he's, he's now in, the, he's in, in Gethsemane, and, and he's like sweating blood. He's so stressed out, and he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders, and all this is going on. And he's like, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus put the Father first. If there is anything in the throne of your heart higher up than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you need to start praying about that. You need to take that to the Father himself. God, and here's the thing. It might even be some of these things like forgiveness. I struggle with forgiveness. I'd be the first to tell you that. If it's one of these things, sometimes you have to ask God to even help you to want to fix things in your life. God, if this is one thing is in my heart, it's just so big in my life, and it's so important, you need to help me want to dethrone it and put you in that place. Sometimes it gets that basic. God, I need your help to want to get rid of the other God because I need to seat you in the throne of my heart. Sometimes it's that basic. God, just help me to want to. Then when you get the wants to, then you have to talk to the Spirit about the hows to. How do I do this, God? How do I do this, God? You will have no other gods before me. So what was the problem with this church? Some of them were entertaining gods, small g, and not God, big G. They were focusing on stuff or other things instead of Yahweh. 
I am. They weren't focusing on I am. That's a big thing. Let's look at this food sacrifice to, other, to idols. Good thing we didn't do praise and worship. Food sacrifice to idols. Is it a big deal? You know, yeah, there might be somebody sacrificing a chicken to Satan, but I don't worship Satan, so can I have the wings? You know, can I have the breast? It doesn't really matter that it was sacrificed to Satan. It it doesn't make any difference. You know, it's chicken. Does God look at it that way? Well, Paul had something to say about this. He was writing this to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 10, 18 through 20. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrifice to an idol was anything or that an idol was anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to, particip- to be participants with demons. Continuing on, 21 22. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. We are trying, are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So this church, there were some who were eating food, sacrificed idols, and they were probably thinking, what's the big deal? It's it's beef, it's lamb. You know, what's the big deal? It's because it was offered to the table of demons. And you cannot share the table with the Lord and the table with demons. You cannot walk with God and run with the devil. It boils down to that. You can't have it both ways. What did Jesus say? Matthew 6, 24, you can, serve, you, you, you can only serve, or no one can serve two masters Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be voted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve two gods. You can't have it two ways. You have to be all in. Your first love needs to be the Lord Jesus Christ, and you need to be all in. And even if it was just food sacrifice to idols, it's a big deal because he's not going to share you with demons. He's not going to share you with the devil because he loves you, and that also keeps you safe. You are safe in the arms of God. You are not safe in the accompanying of any any evil thing. And this church was doing that very thing. This was a church who was doing things right. They were doing things that were right, but they were eating food, sacrificed to idols, and some of them were entertaining other gods. Romans 21.1, this is referring to sexual immorality now. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to view in, God's, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Your body doesn't belong to you. If you have given it to Christ and you have given him everything, you are no longer your own. So what you do with your body matters. It does. And your true and proper worship is not to be a dying sacrifice, not to lay down on an altar and let somebody, you know, kill you. It's to be a living sacrifice. 
He wants you alive in serving Him. He wants you alive in embracing in a relationship with you. He wants you to be alive, and He wants you to realize that you're not your own, that you are His, and He is yours. Huge, huge stuff. I'll look at one more church. I know your deeds. This is verse 19. Your love and faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Here's that, here's that segue. Nevertheless, I have this against you. And see, we're going to see an overlap here. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants on the sexual morality and the eating the food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. I will cast her on the bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Mind you, this is not a warning to the, the church as a whole. This is a warning to those in the church who were messing up. This is, this is now a message not just to the church. He's telling you, turn from your ways. This sexual immorality, this, this, this sharing the table of demons, trying to have it both ways, walking the fence. You're a Christian one day, you're not a Christian the next. Any of these things, if you are that one person He's going to cause things. He's going, and if you don't repent, he's going to allow suffering to occur. Why? Not because he's punishing you, but because he's disciplining you. Because sometimes it takes a little bit of suffering to catch our attention. Because when we're always climbing the top of the mountain, and we're always looking down into the valley, and everything's okay, it's hard to get our attention because we're so en 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 enthralled with the view. But sometimes we need to be taken down to a valley to be shown that we're their shortcomings and what we need to do to, to fix these things. What do you think the whole exile thing was about? Do you think that God didn't work with the Hebrews a lot over and over and over and over and over and over and over through, through David and the line of David and, and, and through the, the, the judges and all these people? God's message was over and over. I love you. I love you. I love you. Stay with me. Stay with me. But they would just keep going back. Is that us? This isn't a Hebrew issue. This is a people issue. How often do we keep trying to run back from the things that, that cause us to be in captivity? How often do we run back to the things that we escape from? Do not run back to the things that kept you captive before you knew Jesus. Do not run back to those things because God can only put up with that so long, not because he wants to punish you, but because he loves you and he wants you to see the error of that way. And he wants to do whatever he has to do to catch your attention, to align your heart the way it needs to be so that one day that Jesus can wrap his arms around you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you're given the crown of life and you eat and you, and you eat from the tree of life and you do all these awesome things. God wants to make sure that you go down that path. And sometimes it takes a little bit of suffering. So by golly, if this is you, if this is you and you're trying to walk the line, if you're on the fence and you're trying to be Jesus to some people, and you're trying to be not Jesus to other people. It's time to wake up, church. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't have it both ways. This church tried to have it both ways, and it doesn't work. It caught God's attention. 
And Jesus has some stuff to say to them. Leviticus 19.2 Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord God, am holy. What does that mean? Here's a nice little Hebrew word. I think it's pronounced quadaus. If I'm wrong, don't laugh at me. What's it mean? The Strong's definition is separate from human infirmity, impurity, and sin. When God is saying, I am holy, it's more than just saying I'm, I'm, I'm enough just in myself. God is saying, I am without sin. I am without impurities. I am without infirmity. God is telling you, this is the standard. I am this way. Be holy because I am holy. That is what God wants from us. Now, let me, let me just back this up for a second, and then we'll close this thing out before Sanford runs me out. God still understands your people. God still understands who you are and the things that we do. You know, Paul said, you know, I, got this, I got this thorn in the flesh. You know, I prayed to God. We don't know what that thing was. We know he struggled with something. We know that all have fallen, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Here's another one of these tools. These interpersonal things. I was talking about this interpersonal attack. When you make a mistake, it's one thing to just not to try again. But you pick yourself up and you brush yourself off and you go on. Because God doesn't expect perfection because he knows you can't accomplish it. Your holiness cannot be accomplished by the stuff that you do. Your holiness is given to you through the sacrifice of Christ. You can be without sin simply because of Jesus. You can't do it on your own. So when you make a mistake, don't beat yourself up. Don't sit there, I'm not worthy to go to church anymore. What if they know what I did? What if they know what I'm doing? What if all of this, what if this, what if that, whatever your what ifs are, don't let it keep you out of this church. Because even though you're called to be holy, God understands that we're going to fall. But he's there to pick us up and to carry us. And the Holy Spirit wants to help us not to make those mistakes. And sometimes discipline comes in our lives. It's not because, again, he wants to hurt us. It's because sometimes he needs to get our attention. But we need to be holy. We need to be different. We need to be, what was the whole thing? All these, these food laws, these poor Hebrew people had to deal with. Why did they have to deal with this stuff? Because God wanted them to be separate from everybody else. They wanted the, they wanted the world to be able to look at the Hebrew people and say they're, they're different. They're the people of God. But let me tell you what, that's true for you now too. God expects the world to look at you, the church of Jesus Christ, and for the world to say, well, they're different. They're set apart. They're not the same as us. Because, well, I'll tell you what, they're a hurting world out there. And if you don't offer them anything that they can't find out there, they're not going to come. And they're going to die lost in sin. It is, our, it is our job to be holy, to try to be holy as God has commanded us. But when we make the mistake, don't let that, don't let that knock you out of the fight. You're going to be knocked down. You're going to be knocked down. Pick yourself back up. If you're down and you feel like you're bleeding, you can't go, Holy Spirit, help me. 
Jesus, I need you to help pick me up. I don't care how you get back up, but get back up. If you need to call a brother, or you need to call a sister, or you need to call the pastor, I don't care who you need to call. If you need help, cry out for the help. The church is here to help you. The church is here to sustain you. You are the gift that God has given every one of you. The church is a gift. Let the church be a gift to you. Let the church be the search and rescue vehicle to go out and save lost people. Point them to Jesus so that the Holy Spirit saves them. I can't save anybody. But I can point you to somebody who can. And that's what our job is. That's what our job is, to be this light on top of this hill, pointing people to Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit do his thing. You realize we can do all the plans and do all the ministries, but if the Father doesn't call them, it's, we can't do a thing. We need the Father to be, it, it, we, need, we need to be on the same page with him to be impacting the world. And that's what we're going to do. Be holy. Be holy. Let's close in prayer.